0: Big days ahead for this body of Christ, and um, it means I've only got four or five messages left, so boy, you better get ready, because <laughs> that means i got to cram a lot in, okay? We have been uh, looking since I've been with you. We started in Hebrews 13, and we looked at the uh, actually 13 different character qualities of a great church. We're the marks of a great church. We spent 13 weeks on that. We spent time looking at uh, spiritual warfare, uh, the attacks that come. We have looked at uh, these Ten Commandments that we're in right now, just the basic instruction that God gives us for, uh, for daily living uh, and to bring joy in your heart, and your life. And so uh, over the next uh, few weeks now, I'm going to talk to you about the church Uh, What does it mean to be the church? What is the church? What is the church to do? How is the church to function? Um, And so we're going to look at just the church. But this morning, we're going to conclude this series on the Ten Commandments. And I've called this series uh, God's Highway to Happiness. Because God gave these Ten Commandments to the children of Israel after they'd been in slavery for 400 years. There was a people. They didn't have any law. They didn't have any directions. They did whatever their Egyptian taskmasters told them to do, and so there was no need for anything. They just, you know, uh, kind of, you know, uh, shuffled around and did whatever they were they were told to do by the uh, uh, governing authorities, uh, their masters. But whenever they left Egypt, now two million Baptists who came out in the desert. And you say, well, how do you know they are Baptists? Because right off the bat, they started grumbling, complaining. Um, you know, God, how come we're eating manna? You know, why, why don't, let's have meat. And so he gave them meat until it stuck in their teeth, you know, and, uh, um, uh, and, and so he gave them these basic Ten Commandments. The first four deal with our relationship to God. This is the way you're to relate to me, the one who delivered you, the one who's protected you under the umbrella of Egypt until you're big enough to be a nation. I have protected you, I've loved you, and now you have brought you out, and now here's how you relate to me. The last six commandments are really, or how do you deal with relationships with the people around you? Um, And we have gone through uh, this series kind of step by step. Now, for those of you, this may be the first time you've kind of gotten in on this, uh, or maybe the second or third. Um, I've used a little memory device to help our people remember the 10 Commandments. And it's uh, built on a nursery rhyme. One, two, buckle my shoe. Three, four, shut the door. Five, six, pick up sticks. Seven, eight, lay them straight. Nine, ten, a big fat hen. Well, you remember that from your childhood, right? Well, uh, number one, the first commandment is, you know, God is number one. You have no other gods before me, period. I am the Lord thy God. You have no other gods before me, number one. So just, everybody hold up your hand. Number one, God's number one, all right? Now number two rhymes with shoe. One, two, buckle my shoe. Now, if you'll, take, if you'll think in your mind's eye, a shoe that's stepping on an idol, okay? And so we're to, have a, we're to crush idols. And, and what that reminds us is they also have no graven, make no graven image, no idols. So commandment number one is one God, I am the Lord thy God. Number two, no idols. One, two buck of my shoe. Three, three rhymes with key. And key is, uh, this, the key we have in our hand is a key to a lock. And if you'll just visualize a big pair of lips with a padlock on the lips. And that key has got the lips padlock, says you're, you're not to speak my name in vain. And so the lock is to lock your lips. Don't speak God's name in vain. Okay, so one, I am the Lord thy God. Two, no idols. Three, don't use my name in vain. Four, door. It reminds the of door. Four, door. Well, now this is not just, I want you to visualize a door. And this door, and it's not just any door. This is a door that's in a big bathtub. And if you can visualize a big bathtub and its doors in it, it is a Sabbath door. It is a door that is being bathed, and so it is in a bathtub, so it is a Sabbath door, which means, reminds us is, remember Sabbath day and keep it holy. Okay. All right, so that's number four. Now, by the way, you know, seminary students can get six out of ten and not always in order. And you all got all ten, right? All right. Now, number five rhymes with hive. Well, to make a successful hive, you gotta have a mama bee and a papa bee, right? And so a five hive is for a hive to be, um, uh, to excel and to be uh, at peace, then, you know, everybody's supposed to honor the mama bee and papa bee. So therefore, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So. <laughs> Five, hive, bees honor your father and mother. Okay. So number three is what? Key. Don't use the Lord. name in vain. Okay. Number one. Okay. See, this is a, this is this is my checkup on you. I'm going to see how well I've done. Teach it. All right. Um, six rhymes with sticks. sticks. And what do we do with sticks? Well, sticks you can make into spears. Sticks, what kid hadn't gone out in the neighborhood with a piece of string and cut off palmetto branches or some kind of limb and tried to make a bow and arrow out of a stick? You know, we take a stick, we make a bow, we make an arrow. I never could understand why those arrows always went you know, like that. You know, the, I never could find a stick straight until I learned how Indians made them. But anyway, six is a stick. And sticks, what do you do with sticks? Kill. And so that reminds us Thou shalt not kill. In particular, murder. There there are reasons to kill. War, there's some reasons for war and some other things. We looked at that in detail. But thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not kill. Seven rhymes with heaven. And see, heaven, that's what a home is like when there's purity in the home, when there's no adultery, when there's no uh, looking over the fence, you know, and this kind of stuff. Whenever... There is purity in the marriage; it's like heaven. And so, seven heaven, thou shalt not commit no. adultery. Okay, and see, all of these God, all these these laws uh, are designed to bring peace in your home and peace in your life. Some folks always look at the law and think that well, the law is like a fence; it's keeping me fenced in. I can't I can't get on the other side and have fun over there. No. God gives us these laws because He he wants peace in your life. These are to give you joy. That's why I call this the series, The Highway to Happiness. So, let's see, seven, heaven, eight, gate. What's the purpose of a gate? It's to keep what out? Thieves. Keep thieves out. So it reminds us, thou shalt not steal. Okay. Nine, Rhymes with vine. And the picture in our mind's eye is a serpent that's intertwined around this tree. And it's leaning over to Eve and saying, did God really say? You know, and so it's the first lie. And nine, which rhymes with vine, says thou shalt not lie. Make it short, just don't lie. Okay? So, uh, we come to number 10. 10... If you'll think of, what is ten rhyme with? Tin rhymes with hen. And what does a hen do? Well, a hen lays an egg. When a hen lays an egg, she sits on it, and she guards it, and the farmer, now wait a minute, the farmer owns the hen, the farmer's fed the hen, the farmer's provided safety, security with a pen, the farmer's taken care of, so who gets the eggs from the hen? Who do they really belong to? Well, they belong to the farmer, right? But the hen tries to cover them, so she covets the eggs, and so... Today we're going to look at the subject of thou shalt not covet. Covet. Okay. That's it. Now, we've done all ten in a row. Let's kind of do them inside out and upside down. Six rhymes with sticks. That reminds us, thou shalt not. Kill. Three rhymes with key. That means thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, two rhymes with Kill. no idols. Okay. Um, seven rhymes with. Heaven. No adultery. adultery. Look at that. See, and I can call these off. And you guys have got them just like this, inside out, backwards. So give yourself a hand. Say, man, you, look at the person next to you. You've done a good job. All right, you've done a good job. Now, so today, 10, we come to this, this final one. And again, God gives these commandments to us for your joy, to create joy and peace in your life. Now, Milton Bradley is contemplating coming out with a new game. It's called Mall Madness, and everybody's given uh, some money to start off with. And he who goes through the mall ends up with no money. First is the winner. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But that's that's kind of the way it works in our society, isn't it? It seems like, you know, Mall Madness, uh, uh, because we just gotta have, gotta have, gotta have, and. And um, I had a fellow one time tell me, he says, my wife doesn't go shopping at least three times a week, I, I get a doctor's appointment for her, something's wrong, you know, if she isn't shopping. And you know what the number one activity of teenage girls is? Shopping, shopping. Um, when my youngest son got married, uh, I always use my kids as an example, I'm glad they're not here and you can't see them, but uh, they live here locally so I'm, I might be in trouble. But um, one of the first things that uh, his wife did, what did she do? Went shopping. Ah, he had to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't make the money that your daddy made, okay? And so he just, you know, it just, uh, but that's what they do. That was the recreational activity. You go and shop. My uh, my stepdad, who's a lost man, he, uh, uh, I called one time and I asked, my, asked him, I said, well, where's mom? He said, oh, she's out fingering. I go, bud, 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 what do you mean? Well, she goes around, she puts fingerprints on everything in the store. She didn't buy anything. She just fingerprints everything. So she's out, she's out, you know. Instead of shopping, she's out fingering things, and and because Bud, when he went shopping, he went to go get something and came back home. You know, he didn't. There was no there was no shopping stuff. This is what I want. I go get it and I come back home. You know, Um, but this commandment has to do really more with attitudes than it does actions. Thou shalt not covet. It, it's, it's more our attitude. It's not the actions we care, that carries us out, but the attitudes that carry us into this. And so, thou shalt not covet. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't desire things. And by the way, let me right up front say, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy and having position, possessions. Okay, let me say that again. There's nothing wrong with having wealth and possessions. It is wrong whenever your possessions begin to possess you. When all of a sudden all you do is think about how am I gonna protect this, how am I gonna do this, and what if it's gonna happen, what's gonna happen with this, and what if I lose this? Your possessions possess you. Now you've stepped over the line. So uh, we're gonna deal with that some more right now, and as, we, as we go along, I've got a whole lot of stuff here. As you can tell from all the blanks you got to fill in, and I'm not going to cover all this, so it's going to be real, real fast as we walk through this. So um, it's not a sin to be rich, but it is a sin to make riches an idol, to idolize them, to idolize possessions, to, to idolize things, to idolize. Um, my place my my house my address or something that's what's that's where the sin is so don't be guilty of desiring things that are not lawfully yours Uh, we just got to be careful that covetousness doesn't sneak in now what I want to do is first of all if you look at the first side of your uh, little outline that I've given you all in your bulletin there uh, let, let's read these first two verses up here together. The first one is our focal verse. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now it goes on and expands on that quite a bit. It's in, in Exodus 20, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his maidservant, nor his male servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's you'll not covet anything of your neighbor's. So I just shortened it to say, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. That means household, everything. Then New Testament, Philippians 4, 12. Read it with me. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now that's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna look at the secret of contentment. How do I reach a point of contentment? Now folks, there is a multi, multi billion dollar industry out here to make you malcontent. It's called advertising. And advertising says, you know, if you, de- here, here's one of the lines you deserve this. Oh, you deserve this. That's what most, a lot of these advertisers say. Deserve? Deserve? <laughs> uh, so. That, but that, this, this multi-million dollar industry is to create miscontent in your life. So let's look at the difference between contentment and covetous. And let's compare those two, all right? The first one. The first one has to do with contentment is when you look at the goodness of God. That's what contentment is. Contentment is looking at the goodness of God. Covetous deals with the stinginess of God. I don't look, at, I don't look at, the, uh, at the goodness of God. I look at the stinginess of God. Folks, this began in the Garden of Eden. This, be, this began when Satan whispered in Eve's ear, says, did God really say? He said, you're going to become like God. And he, he suggested that God was withholding something from you. And he says, I, I, God's withholding something from you. And if you'll just bite this fruit, you'll get what God's withholding from you. That's how old it is. It starts back there. That says God's stingy instead of the goodness of God. Now, I have printed there for you in Psalms. It says this, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk Whose walk is blameless. Now what a promise that is. No good thing does God withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now it doesn't mean that He's going to give you a carte blanche and give you everything you want, but He's not going to withhold any good thing from you. That's part of the process of learning contentment. Now uh, Matthew seven eleven says this, well, this is a good verse. I've got kind of a little footnote there. You might circle that one to read later on. But it says this, If you, though, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So let's fix our eyes on Christ. And, and that's what happens is when we take our gaze off of the goodness of God, instead of uh, looking at how, what God may be withholding, the stinginess of God, if you think that God is withholding from you and not giving you, and, and, and there are people who, who get mad at God because I don't have as much as Mr. X over here, and Mr. Z over here, he's got even more, and here I am, uh, Mr. W, and I don't have what they've got, and so God's stingy with me. Why, why don't you gaze on the goodness of God? You know, every person in this room is fabulously wealthy by world's standards. You go anywhere else in the world, you know, there's not electricity all the time. There, there are places where people have never, in fact, I, f- I forget the exact number, but it's a tremendous number. It's like 80% of Africans have never ridden in a car. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's a huge number. Now, I may have the percentage a little bit wrong, but it's a huge, huge number. And so instead of looking at and thinking, God's stingy with me and letting me drive my, you know, 15-year-old vehicle, man, I need to look at the blessings of God and say, Lord, thank you that I'm, I'm riding and not walking. Thank you, Lord, that I had food to eat last night. Uh, and this morning for breakfast the goodness of God not the stinginess of God that's the difference between c- covetousness and uh, contentment number two trust in God is contentment our mistrust in God is covetous in other words God since you didn't give me what I think I should have how can I trust you with anything else And so we start mistrusting God. We say, well, how can I trust Him if He won't won't give me what I want? Well, let me remind you of His name. His name, one of His names, and that's how God reveals His character to us, is El Shaddai. El is the prefix that talks about mighty, powerful. El Shaddai. Elohim. means powerful. um, Mighty. And... Shaddai means almighty and almighty. This this name is used 48 times in the Old Testament. So this mighty, powerful God, do you trust Him? Look at Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 have printed there for you. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And so for you to understand the, the goodness and to trust God with your life. And many say, I don't trust him. I, you know, I think he's going to withhold from me. He's going to, he's keeping me from enjoying this or enjoying that or this vice or whatever. No, you know, God's trying to protect you and I. Um. So keep your heart, your lives free from the love of money and you might underline that phrase, be content. Be content. Um, I had a friend, when I was in commercial real estate development years ago, uh, we were tasked with, and I was in real, real estate for this uh, uh, company, the New York Soccer Stage Company, it's, uh, I think it was in the top 500. And the corporate headquarters was in Chicago, downtown. They wanted to relocate out, out toward O'Hare Airport. And so um, we were tasked with negotiating and a lease for a new office space. And basically we took over a building. And, and so um, uh, in the process, this fellow that I work with, uh, he's got his tape measure, because they're remodeling the Space us and everything, and I got my spot and his, and he's got a tape measure out, and he's measure, measuring desks. And I said, Tony, what are you doing? He says, well, you know, we didn't get a, uh, you and I, you, you know, we didn't get a, an office with a, with a window. We're on the inside here, and so we got to be sure we have a bigger desk. If we don't get a window, we've got to get a bigger desk. And I said, what difference does it make? What we do, we're on the road most of the time anyway. All we need is a place to sit down and, you know, make a few phone calls. I said, we're not in the office that much. Why do we need a window in the first place? Oh, you don't understand how this works, Dave. In corporate life, you know, if you don't, you got to have a big desk. So he's measuring desks. You know, he is not content at all. And I was just glad to have a job. <laughs> and, uh, and, and anyway, that, that's, that's... But Tony, he really just couldn't trust God either with his life. He said, God didn't give me this, then I can't trust Him in this. And that's the difference between covetousness and contentment. Let's look at the third one. third one that deals with worship. Colossians tells us this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now that's the, that's the phrase that's applicable here, greed, which is idolatry. So if you have greed, if you're covetous, coveting someone else's positions, whether it's his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his donkey, his home, whatever it is, then that becomes idolatry, folks. And so it deals with, th- this is the difference between worship and idolatry. Worship the Lord. Remember commandment number two. You just have no graven images. We can make a graven image out of all kinds of stuff. We can make a graven image and we can worship a 401 c or your house. And, you know, before you start worshiping your home and all, and just holding tightly to those possessions, can I remind you of something called Irma? And we were getting ready to walk into the season again. You know, folks, don't hang on to stuff. If that's where your joy is, we're going to be sadly disappointed one day because all that stuff can go. Now, I, you know, I hate to bring that kind of stuff up, folks, but. You know, I don't speak a curse and say we're going to get hit by some great storm, but the reality is all this stuff is just that. It's stuff. We're to turn our focus and our attention to the worship of Almighty God. That's what He's after. God wants your heart. God want, God's after your heart. Amen. Now, number four giving versus getting. Giving versus getting. It, it, the nature of God is to give. It is the nature of man to get, to want, to, to, to be greedy. Uh, God's nature, for God so loved the world that He what? Gave. For God so loved the world that He gave. When you give, you are more like God than any other time in your life because we are like Him when we give, when we're Generous. Instead of getting, always wanting, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, you know. Now, uh, God is a giver. Uh, and there's a, a couple of verses there that I'll let you, you know, kind of look up later on. But let me call your attention to Acts 20, verse 35. It says, in everything, this is the New Testament, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, so giving, that's part of who we are. That's the difference between contentment and covetousness. Covetousness, uh, okay, all right. Uh, another aspect of this, if you compare the two, is long life versus a shortened life. You want a long life? You want life to be long and enjoy, enjoyed? Well, Proverbs 23, 4 says this, do not wear yourself out to get rich have the wisdom to show restraint. I had a, a, a broker, a real estate broker I used to do business with. this. Is, again, this is my past life. We built shopping centers and supermarkets and stuff and then sold them off to investors. You know, we did that so we'd get the, the, the place we wanted, but we didn't want to keep our capital tied up in real estate, so we'd sell it off. And I had this one uh, Jewish lady who would sell everything we had. I mean, did she, I'd say, where do you find these clients? You know, because we're selling, now this is back in the, mid-70s, and we're selling things for three, $4 million, which today is not a lot of money, but back then that was a huge amount. I mean, com- com- comparably speaking, 18, 20 million. And I said, where do you find, she says, well, I go down to Miami and I sit on the beach. And her name was Sylvia Frankel. And Sylvia says, I sit on the beach and I said, well, how, how does that sell these properties like you do? She says, well, the beach is full of rich widows. And they've got all this money they don't know what to do with. Their husband made it. Their husband wore themselves out making money and died and left them these fortunes, and they don't know what to do. And so I come along, and their accountant says, you've got $15 million here. You need to put somewhere and something. So she buys real estate. I said, you what, Sylvia? I said, yeah, it's widows. Look. <laughs> sure enough, I looked at the clients and the people who were buying them. Behind them all was Ladies because their men wore themselves out chasing riches. Now some of that also might be because you know, men just don't, I don't know, we don't last as long as women, uh, don't take as good care of us. You know, I think I've made it this long because I got a nurse for a wife and she keeps me alive, and for that I'm grateful. But the, the fact is, the scripture tells us that we can, we can wear ourselves out just, just trying to um, gain riches. Uh, Proverbs 28, 16 says, The prince that lacks judgment is also a great oppressor. But he, listen to this, But he who hates covetousness will enjoy a long life. So it's a difference between a short life and a long life. And if you want a long life, then don't have a coveting attitude. Because a coveting attitude will wear you out. Okay? Okay. Now, number six, peace versus worry, fear, or frustration. If, you ha- if you're at peace, you will demonstrate contentment. But if you worry and fret and have fear and frustration, then the, the problem with that is you probably are, are a coveting person. Listen to Hebrews thirteen six. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me now that's somebody who's at peace it says no matter what happens in this world the lord is going to take care of me do you believe that do you believe the lord can take care of you you believe that everything about you he can take care of you and you can trust him now the way that shows up is attitude and by the way the attitude we have is reflected then it turns into actions But the heart here of this thing is is attitude. Uh, In Ecclesiastes 5.12, it says this. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. What happens to the rich if they are covetous? Now, folks, I know a lot of very, very wealthy folks. I mean, they're wealthy beyond my a wildest imagination. When I worked with the International Mission Board, I met a lot of wealthy folks who gave generously to missions. But one thing I can say about them, I didn't see a covetous heart in them. What I saw was generosity. And they slept well at night. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. If you have a covetous heart you won't sleep because you're worried about what's going to happen. You're worried about the stock market. You're worried about uh, this piece of real estate. You're worried about a storm coming in. It's going to wipe you out. You're worried about this. You're worried about that. And, and what happens is, again, your possessions begin to possess you. See, it's attitudes. And those attitudes get reflected in actions. So, the sleep of a laborer. Now, James 4.1 says it. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? That's where your fights and quarrels are, they come from those desires inside that get in the way of your relationships. <clears throat> lotto winners, to, almost to a person, you, you know, you've seen this enough in the news and, and reports that, that uh, people who win the lotto, lottery, and by the way, you know what the lottery is? It's God's tax on idiots. Um, and I say that because uh, the chances of winning the lottery are, well, it's, it's about as much as you standing outside right now and, and say strike me with lightning. That's about the chances are of, getting, of winning the lottery. Uh, but a lottery winners to a person will say, you know, the problem <laughs> that happens when I won the lottery is now I've got all these consultants and cousins who keep showing up wanting a handout. I got myriad of consultants. My life was at peace until I won all this money, and now i got all these consultants wanting this and this and this, and i got all these cousins I really didn't know I had, you know, that, that come around. Peace is unique to God's people. Peace in your heart is unique to God's people because uh, Isaiah 32, 18 says, My people will dwell in quiet places. Amen. Number seven. Uh, the difference, you know, comparing... Contentment with covetousness. And number seven is this, a proper self-worth versus low self-worth. A a covetous person who is covetous has a low self-worth because their value is wrapped up in material possessions. Um, In adolescence, this shows up really in adolescence. Now I'm gonna talk about my family here because you know as I'm growing up and and I told my oldest son the other day, I said, Matthew, the reason I use you so many times in, in, um, in my illustrations is because all of a sudden I was a parent and you're the first one I got to experiment on and I learned all these lessons along the way. And he goes, oh, that's okay, Dad. And he says, well, I know it's a little difficult. Yeah, yeah. But he and I are good. But I remember my son, Matthew, whenever he started moving into adolescence, in his school, the thing to have in that day was Nike Air Jordans. Now these were high top shoes, red and black and white. Not blue and white, red and black and white. And that was the key. Man, if you had them, you were cool. And he just said, he said, oh dad, I gotta have them. I just gotta have them. My, my life, it's just gonna be worthless if I don't have a pair of Air, Air Jordans, Air Jordans. Well, we looked at Air Jordans and now folks, this is back in, oh, Susanna, what would that be? 1983, 84, I don't know, it was way back there. And these things are like $90 a pair. Then, and I go, no, we ain't doing that, you know. And uh, I, I said, first of all, have you prayed, have you asked the Lord to provide you some, I ahead All all right, you start praying. Well, I don't, know how, I don't remember how it happened, but he got a pair of Air Nike Jordans uh, given to him, all right. But isn't that the way adolescence is? You know, if I, if, it, if I just don't get this, I'm just gonna die. It's just not gonna happen. If I don't get it now, oh gosh. My life is going to be ruined. Have y'all ever done that? You know, I'm not going to ask how many of you are guilty of that because I know you all are. Okay, uh, we we just go through this in adolescence, and I keep telling my kids and grand. I've had i had this conversation with my oldest grandkids, and I said, now you know you're you're 11, 12, 13. Now, in about three years, you're going to get real weird. You're just going to get weird, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're just going to be weird. And and I, when I look at you and I say now. Nathan, this is a weird moment, okay? I want you to just remember this conversation. That Now, if you might in four or five years grow out of it, if you survive. but There's going to be four or five years here. That you're just going to be weird. And you're going to do weird stuff, and you're going to have weird ideas, and you're going to think that I'm just the dumbest person in the world, and Grandpa don't know nothing. I said, but now, you'll grow out of this. Your dad grew out of it, okay? So you're going to grow out of it. But that's what adolescence is. Adolescence says, you know, my identity is tied up in in things, it's tied up in, oh, not only blue jeans, blue jeans, I gotta have the right stitching on the hip pocket. If it doesn't do this, then it's not the right, plain pockets, no, 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 that's out. You know, I gotta have the right emblem on the back, maybe a star, you know, that's adolescence. Now I'm talking about adolescence, but aren't we guilty of that as adults too sometimes? If we don't have a certain kind of car, we don't have a certain color, we don't have a certain address, if we don't have something just right, then all of a sudden we're just not as worthy. Our self-esteem is lower because we don't have what the next guy has. You know, I've learned to rejoice when others do well. I'm just glad, you know. Somebody gets uh, one of my workers. He, you know, if he gets a, a a promotion and gets a more money, and he's because he's been good. Man, I just rejoice in that. That's okay. I'm not. I, I don't covet his position or his pay or his house or his maidservant. I just rejoice in the fact that he got blessed that's the difference see my, net, my worth is not wrapped up in things it's in relationships and people and so proper self worth um, here in Luke 12 15 it says this then Jesus said to them watch out Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We were driving here this morning, and there was a text on my phone that Susanna hadn't seen, and she said, oh, the smell. I said, yeah, just go ahead and read it. And two of our friends in two different parts of our ministry in different parts of the United States where we were, they connected, and she said, boy, isn't it, it brings joy to your heart when two circles of our life inter- intersect, and they both call us up and say, "Hey, I met one of our mutual friends." You know, you know that's worth so much more than a hundred-dollar bill. You know, it just is, because a man's life is not is not built on his possessions. And so, if your esteem, if your if you have low esteem because you don't have the possession somebody else has got, you need to back up and just rejoice in a proper self-worth, and the proper self-worth would say this, do you know Christ? Are you going to heaven when you die? All this stuff, all this stuff's gonna burn up in a big ash and it's all gonna go away. But folks, where we spend eternity, that's what matters, not what happens in this life. You know, and life's not fair, you know, that's one of the problems with socialism socialism says you know everything everybody's got to be equal everybody's got to, you know he's got more income than me and so therefore you ought to give it to me folks that life isn't fair life isn't the same and life and god blesses us differently based on the attitudes and actions of our heart you want god to bless you then be obedient you hang on to a sin and say, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this because you know it, it brings me joy, and you know it's contrary to what God wants, how can God bless you? How how can the Father do, do you bless disobedient children? Do you bless and acknowledge your children whenever they do things that are absolutely contrary to what you desire? God says, I'm not going to withhold any good thing from you whose walk is blameless. To the one whose walk is blameless, I'm not going to withhold any good thing. What promise, folks. What a great promise. And that means being content. Content. Enjoying what God has done in your life and gazing on Him. Which is the difference between a worker and a shirker. Which is number eight. Yeah, worker versus a shirker, okay. Uh, Proverbs 21.25. I've got it printed there for you. The sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. See, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. You might write that in the margin there too. Look at that later. 1 Thessalonians 3.10. And in the New Testament it says this. It says, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And see, that's a worker versus somebody doesn't work. The sluggard who doesn't want anything he says, I want, but I don't work for it. Uh, The word of God says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Now, boy, what I like those food stamps, you know, and uh, why do I have to work? Well, work is a great motivator, and God made us to work. God put in us creativity. He put in us drive. He put in us abilities for a reason. Uh, even Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they tended the garden. They just didn't walk around picking fruit and flowers. Yeah. It says they worked. They tended the garden. And so God put in us that, and He expects us. Because if you don't work and you're like the sluggard, and your hands refuse to work, and you crave more, it's going to lead to thievery. It's going to lead to stealing. Getting something with no effort. Stealing is motivated by ingratitude to God. I, I, I don't believe God's going to take care of me, and so I've got, I'm just in, in gratitude. Ephesians 2.10. I have that in, noted in the middle there. Just circle a little Ephesians 2.10. Look it up later on. It says this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship, and He created us to do good works. He wants us to do that. Now, the last one, satisfaction versus an insatiable appetite. Someone who is content is satisfied. Someone who Has a covetous heart about him. Has an insatiable appetite, always wanting more. In America, we're we're just rich. I mean, we've got. I mean, here we are in an air-conditioned building, clean. I mean, most of the world doesn't have this. When I've traveled overseas and I come back, I don't care what continent I've been on. I just want to get down and kiss the pavement and thank God for allowing me to be born and live in this nation. We are so blessed. We are absolutely so blessed. And that, and, but yet, if you have an insatiable appetite, you'll have no mercy with others. You'll, have no, you'll be ruthless in what you want to do. Uh, Isaiah 55.2 uh, says this. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affairs. Again, it comes back to attitude attitude. Being satisfied. You know, in America, we're not satisfied. Um, we spend, uh, I think this, this number's probably changed since, since uh, you know, uh, I need, probably need to upgrade this number, but on average, Americans spend $1,300 for every thousand that they own, that they work for and earn. So you earn $1,000, you spend 1300 Well, how do you do that? How do you keep doing that? Well, you go deeper and deeper in debt. It's kind of like our U.S. government, you know? Only we don't have a printing press to print more of it. You know, we get deeper and deeper in debt. Kind of like the old Tennessee Ernie Ford song years and years ago, 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. <laughs> and, and debt will kill you. But to, to we, we want things now, we want it now. Oh, when, when I did premarital counseling, i have done a lot of it. One of the things I found is young couples they come in and they immediately want to buy. I, the first time this happened to me was a young couple I was in Fort Worth, Texas. And they said, "Yeah, we we're going to get married and we're going to buy a three bedroom, two bath, two car garage house right here in this neighborhood. See, we love this neighborhood and love these bricks and everything. We want to live right here." I said, "Okay. I mean, they're both, you know, I mean, these are 19, 20-year-old kids and uh, they're just they got incomes that are just a little above uh Hamburger flippers and McDonald's. Nothing wrong with that, but I mean their income is just, you know, it's basic entry level stuff. So I said, okay. I said, here's what I want you to do. I called up a realtor friend of mine. I said, I want you to take them around, and show them some houses, and and pick two or three, and this is what they're looking for. And then I want you to sit down with them and I want you to explain to them what it takes to finance it and how to buy. And so he did. Now, you know why they wanted three-bedroom, two-bath brick home, two-car garage in suburbia? It's because that's what they grew up in. What they forgot was mom and dad have worked 25 years to get us here. They forgot that. Or or that part of it didn't... They they just want to immediately start where mom and dad left off. Insatiable appetite. And so you end up spending more than you make, and you get deeper in debt, and you can't even afford the things that you want Now... Oh, I'm out of time. Okay. Let let me just fill in the blanks in the last ones here. How how do you learn the joy of contentment? How do you learn the joy? Okay, first of all, gratitude for God's provisions. Gratitude for God's provisions. When God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and happen his work, this is a gift from God. This is a gift from God. It's better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. Isn't that a proverb to hang on to? It's always better to be satisfied. I'll tell you, just fill in this blank. I would be even more happy if I had... What's the, what goes in the blank? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But, folks, what I'm saying is whatever it is in your life, you know, if, if there's if you if you aren't satisfied there's always wanting the way to be content is to say lord i'd like to have this but i am just satisfied you have blessed me i have a roof i have food i have clothing you're taking care of me gratitude gratitude for what god is doing There's a woman who hit the $23 million lotto, uh, lotto and she calls up her boyfriend and she says, pack your bags, I won $23 million in the lottery. And she he says, oh great, where are we going? She says, I don't know where you're going as long as it's out of the house before I get there, okay? <laughs> you just get out. <laughs> uh, another uh, way is to, uh, secondly, uh, Grade, don't compare yourself to others. The way to be content is don't compare yourself to somebody else. There's always somebody else that's got a little more, a little better, a little bigger, a little shinier. Don't compare yourself. If you want to be content, you want to enjoy contentment, then gratitude for God's provisions and don't compare yourself to other people. Thirdly, give to others. Give to others. That's the way to be content. If you're at a place where you are content with where God has you, you don't hang on to things so tightly. You're free to give. Because it's just come, it comes anyway. It comes and goes. And God's going to provide for me tomorrow what I need today. What I need tomorrow when it comes. And when you have a giving heart, you recognize you have finally reached contentment because you don't have to hang on. Fourthly, gaze on the goodness of God. Gaze on the goodness of God. Colossians 3, 1 and 3, I have it printed there for you. It says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ gaze on the goodness of God. If you'll keep your focus on what God is, has done and is doing in your life, what He does in others, you can just rejoice and bless them and thank God for that. But it'll keep your heart pure. So, contentment. If you are... What what is you the first seven things there was... The difference between covetousness and contentment. Do you have a coveting heart? Or have you reached contentment? And those are things to look at in your life. Am I satisfied with where I am? Can you be satisfied? Now there's nothing wrong, again, with more and excelling and riches. Nothing wrong with that. Not preaching about that. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. In fact, Matt, I hope you all just go out and, and you'd earn a million dollars this year, just tithe, okay? <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with wealth, okay? There's nothing wrong with wealth. It is the attitude of your heart. Do you trust God enough? And are you content with where God has you? And can you say, thank you, Lord, and keep your gaze on Him and not on stuff around you? That's the secret of continuing. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, Father, so, so much. And I know I brought in way too much detail. And so, Father, I pray for our brothers and sisters here, all those who are in the sound of my voice, that, Father, uh, say, look at these scriptures and understand your goodness And how you've blessed us. And oh, Father, for every believer in this nation, we are so fabulously wealthy compared to 90% of the rest of the world. Help us, Father, keep our gaze on you. Not on the things around us and not on what somebody else has. But may we gaze on you and your goodness to us. And learn the peace that comes with contentment. Now, Father, there may be some in here, and, and their whole life has been just a struggle to get, to get, to get, and they go, and they go, and they go, and they get, and it seems like, Father, I know what that's—I know what that's like. And all of a sudden, your God becomes your job, your work, your success, your bank account, and then they look around and say, "Is this all there is?" Father, I've sat with men like that at lunch who said, how, "How, I remember them saying, how big a yacht do you have to have to be happy? Because they recognize that there's not satisfaction and peace in stuff. They didn't know you. And Father, maybe someone here this morning, they don't know you. And there's not real peace in their heart. And they want it. They long for it. I pray, Father, that in the feebleness of my ability to speak this truth that uh, Holy Spirit, you might speak to their heart and say, I am the one that you need to bring satisfaction and peace to your life. Thank you, Lord. Now, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed for just another moment. We need quiet moments once in a while to kind of reflect. Do you know how much God loves you For God so loved the world that He gave. What did He give? He gave His only begotten Son for you. That's the central truth of the whole Bible. That God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? Because our sin. Adam and Eve sinned, disobeyed God. We, you and I, have sinned and disobeyed God. And the only way that sin can be removed is when we come to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I can't do it. I wear myself out striving to be good. Wear myself out striving to be this or that. And God, I know there's more. How do I get it? It's as simple as ABC. First of all, you need to acknowledge who you are. Acknowledge, Lord, I'm not satisfied. And Lord, I've sinned. Because I'm not content. Therefore, I have sinned against you. So if you can... Honestly, say that to God. Just tell him that now. Lord, I acknowledge who I am. But, but B, I believe, Jesus, I believe that you love me. And I believe that you gave your life for me. Can you tell him that? Would you say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me? Now, you may not understand all the details of that. You may not understand every detail of the story that God has woven into that statement. But in the while you and I were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And the reason he died on a cross, one sinless, was to pay the penalty for your sin and to pay the penalty for me. And the way that peace really comes is when you and I can say, and I've done this, say, Lord, I lay my life down and give it to you. Become my Lord, become my Savior. Would you be willing to say that and find real peace in your life? Then that's the invitation. I'm inviting you to come to Jesus, the one who loved you enough to go to a cross and die for you. And if you'll just simply open the door of your heart and say, Jesus, I surrender all of me. Would you say it to Him? Jesus, I surrender all of me to all of you that I understand in this moment. You can be saved. Not because I say so, because the Bible says so. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, thank you for loving us. And I pray as we extend the outward call, Holy Spirit of God, you'd extend the inward call to every heart and life in Christ's name. Amen. 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 I apologize for just the length here. I've put way too much in this. But it is, it is so important for you to understand this for peace in your life. If you are the one this morning that God's calling and wants to be part of, this, uh, of, of His body, then I want to invite you. That's this invitation. I want to invite you in a moment. We're going to stand together. I'm going to invite you to come take your stand right here with me. Now, the reason we do this You've probably seen Billy Graham on TV do this kind of thing, other evangelists and so forth. And there are a lot of churches that have stopped doing the invitation, but I tell you why it's so important to me. It's because in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus himself said this, If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, in other words, don't take a stand, just kind of quietly, you know, try to be a secret agent Christian. He says, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to hear all about Christ and know how much Christ loved you, walk out of here, die of a heart attack, a car wreck or something like that, and step before him and him to look at you and say, depart from me for I never knew you. So that's the invitation. I invite you to come because he invited you. He says, come take a stand for me. And that's the only reason we do this. If you confess me, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me, I'll deny you. So I'm asking you to take your stand for Christ in the safest place you can find in America, and that's right here at First Baptist Osprey, surrounded by people who will love you, be excited for you, rejoice with you in your decision. Uh, I'm not asking you to do this, you know, at a Dallas Cowboys football game or a Tampa Bay Bucks, you know where people might heckle and stuff like that, although I would love to get my testimony there. (laughs) Uh, I'm inviting you to do that here, surrounded by friends. Take your stand for Christ, it's the first place you start. So I invite you to come. Now it could be that you're already a believer, you're looking for a church home, God's told you this is where we need to be, this is where we need to plan our life. And you already maybe served somewhere else, you moved into the area, moved your bank account, your magazine subscriptions, your furniture, your family, but you've not moved your church membership. I want to invite you to be the very first one down the aisle, stand, come here, take your stand for Christ. What we're going to do is we'll have somebody get with you, get the information from you, and we'll fold you into the life of the church and the way the church receives its members. So you be the first to come. You're already a believer looking for a church home. And maybe, maybe you just got questions. Say, Brother Dave, I don't know what you're talking about. There's so much of this stuff. It's just. Not... Bring your questions. We'll answer your questions. We'll have somebody sit with you privately, personally, answer your questions. So that's the invitation. It's just that simple. Then we're going to receive our offering. We'll be dismissed. Okay? So in this moment, if you need to come, take your stand for Christ or become part of this fellowship, come now. It's the time. Let's stand together and sing. John, would you sing? Let's sing. Softly and tenderly. Softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me, see, trading and watching, watching for you and for me, come home, come home, is there one today, it's the right thing to do. have those to come to receive our morning offering. The invitation is always open as we receive this offering. If you're a guest with us or you have information to share with us, we'll drop that in the offering plate as it comes by. Uh, and so uh, this is a, a time of, uh, of worship because we come acknowledging God's provision for us and bringing back to Him what He has given to us. Alright? Father, thank you for uh, just for loving us. But Father, I know that the gifts... You, it's not money you need, Father. It is our hearts. But this is a way of us expressing it to you, our love for you, Father. Receive it in that way. Use it for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. 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 From here, we're going to Laurel Park, and if you didn't bring something, it's all right, come. I'm sure there's going to be plenty. I know that they got lots of meat and hot dogs and buns and stuff like that, so don't, don't say, oh, I forgot to bring this. Or, you, know, you don't need to bring anything except yourself. And it's not, it's, it's not about eating. It's about fellowship and getting to know each other, and so uh, that's the purpose of it. The way to get there, right down this highway to uh, when you go through the light on Tammie Trail at Laurel, go through that light. First street on the left is going to be Collins. Just turn your left on Collins, take you right to the park. That's where we're going to be. All right? And if you don't know how to get there, follow somebody that does. All right? How many of you know where this is? All right? See these hands and say, I need to follow you. Okay? So all right. it's all right. All right? God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.